0: You may be seated. Let us pray. O Lord, at dawn, the first Easter Sunday, the women came to your tomb to honor your body, but you were not there. Praise be your name that you have risen from the dead as you said you would. Look on us in our fear and comfort us with the same blessed gospel news that death no longer holds you and therefore it no longer holds those who belong to you. Comfort us that we belong to you, and give us your joy. Amen. This day is the reason there is a Christian church. St. Paul wrote, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then it also follows that those who fell asleep in Christ perished. If our hope in Christ applies only to this life, we are the most pitiful people of all. But this is only a hypothetical because, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. There's no doubt about it. There were hundreds of witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. God's word preserves the truth of the matter in the Gospels and the epistles of the New Testament. And he foretold it all through the Old Testament. The women from today's Gospel were the first human witnesses of the resurrection. The curse of sin came in when the woman was deceived And the promise of God was given, cursing the serpent, I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head, and you will crush his heel. Among the two named women in our text, one is the other Mary, who is called the mother of James and Joseph earlier on. It's very possible that this Mary is Jesus' mother, the one who did bear the seed who would fulfill that promise although we don't know this for certain. The other woman is Mary Magdalene, described by St. Mark as a woman out of whom Jesus had driven seven demons. How clear that Jesus rescued this woman from the domain of the devil. And so now the angel proclaims the message to these women first, that the promise of God is fulfilled. The seed of the woman has in fact crushed the serpent's head. Consider human history in this light, originally in paradise, in perfect communion with the God who created us, but swiftly at odds because we disobeyed God, rebelled against him, and rejected him. But God did not reject us. He made a plan to redeem us, to bring us back to himself, and to love us. The thousands of years that followed led up to this point when God would send his son to be born of a virgin at a certain time in a certain place so that he would grow up in a certain time and place so that he would die at a certain time and in a certain place upon a cross thereafter to rise from the dead. And now the wait is over. Now we live in the age of resurrection. Life is yours again. Paradise is yours again. God is your friend, your brother, your head, and where Jesus goes, you who are united to him by faith will follow. So in great joy, let us sing our festival verse, He is a risen, glorious word, hymn 348. Is a risen Lord of spirit. Lord. The gates of heaven are open. My Jesus, I triumphant thee. And Satan, most broken life. Destroyed health here Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this Easter festival is from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 28th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Please rise in Jesus' name. After the Sabbath had dawned on that first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled away the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so terrified of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, "'Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead.' And look, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. They hurried away from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. When the women went to the tomb that dawn, there was almost certainly fear. The other disciples were hiding in fear, and certainly these women were not immune to the same feeling. But they were bold enough to try to honor their Lord and teacher. God filled them with this boldness because it was His purpose that they be the first to see the empty tomb. So with fear they went, but soon that fear would be transformed into a different sort of fear, and added to it would be great joy. Note closely the words of the gospel, how these women went to look at the tomb. Like many before and after who have lost loved ones, death is the all-encompassing reality. They were in mourning, and psychologically speaking, they needed closure. I want you to keep an awareness of death. Our current culture likes to avoid the ugliness of death. It's hard to recognize what goes on in our culture, though, when you're in it, it's like nose blindness. Febreze commercials have used this in advertising. A house smells like foul cat litter and dirty socks and garbage and other things, but the people who live there don't notice because they are nose blind to it. It takes an outside perspective, an objective measuring tool to notice. And so for you, take everything in culture and measure it against the objective measuring tool of God's word. Look, for instance, at the way funerals in our secular culture often are designed to ignore the blow of death or to soften it. Eulogies turn eyes away from the death and backwards to the life and the memory. Songs are chosen because they're pillows for the emotions and ultimately confess nothing solid or really comforting. But what if a funeral actually made the mourners stare death directly in the face? What if instead of eulogizing the now-ended life of the person who could not save himself, there was a message about the one who purchased that life and promised that even through this death there would be life? What if instead of inoffensive candy songs the mourners sang about the reality of sin, the cross of Jesus, and the resurrection that showed the defeat of death? Go and look at the tomb. Cut into the rock as tombs were in that day, an open tomb would look indeed like a gaping mouth. Scripture includes many images of open mouths and death and snake venom, depicting the connected Curses in the fall. To the serpent, God said, You shall crawl on your belly and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And to Adam, God said, For you are dust. At the dust, you shall return. And you see the devil, then that serpent, looking at Adam and licking his lips. He has hunted all of Adam's descendants ever since, seeking to devour all the living. He especially hunted one offspring, the promised seed of the woman who was prophesied to crush his head. St. John saw it in symbols. There was a huge red dragon that had seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky and threw them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that he could devour the child as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will shepherd all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The dragon, the devil... Failed to defeat Jesus. Death did not hold him. He was neither abandoned to the grave nor did his flesh see decay. And so he led the way for your eternal inheritance. But the principle still remains. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And what is perishable is not going to inherit what is imperishable. But if death has been reversed, if Jesus has removed its fangs, then something new is coming. Perhaps these thoughts were in the hearts of those women as they ran to the t- ran from the tomb with fear. Look, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality." In this way, a new fear comes upon them. The angel had already told them, do not be afraid. That is, do not be afraid of my presence because I have not come to destroy you or bring God's wrath to you, but to give you a joyful message. But now they have the fear of what will life now be? The fear of how will this world respond to this new reality and this message? The fear of certainty that, yes, indeed, the cross will come upon the followers. Of Jesus. The fear of God that means respect and worship and reverence and awe filled love. Haven't you wondered why you're supposed to fear love and trust in God above all things? Why fear? Perhaps these women started to understand something Jesus had said long before do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather, fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And that one is God alone. He is the only one who ought really to be feared. If we fear anything else, then we make those things greater than God. We make those things into our God. But God must occupy the prime place in our lives. He must be the one we fear, love, and trust in above all things. That is what it means to have a God. But God does not abandon you to fear. Instead, he gives you a reason to mingle with your fear, great joy. God is indeed the only one who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. But through the resurrection of his son, Jesus, you now have the promise that he does not intend to destroy you, but to give you life. He intends, just as Jesus was raised, to raise you your flesh will be brought out of decay and into perfection and indestructibility. And this is yours, even though you were an enemy of God. The devil licked his lips at the dust-bound men, not only because he was eager to eat your body, but because he was eager to take your soul for himself. God is the one who consigns to eternal death, but the devil is the accuser who wishes to make each man condemned. And if he can't get you on his side then he'll fight against you. But if he can get you on his side, then you're really his ally and God's enemy. And he doesn't really have to fight very hard because there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who searches for God. They all turned away. Together they became useless. There is no one who does what is good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They kept deceiving with their tongues. The poison of asps is on their lips. You are the race of men that's included in that condemnation. You are not righteous, but instead you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and did not remain standing in the truth because there is no truth in him. Yet, while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, it is even more certain that we will be saved from God's wrath through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, it is even more certain that since we have been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. Think of that gaping open mouth of the grave, recalling the open mouth of the serpent. Recognize that your mouth is also used by the devil to devour more souls. But what does Christ put into your mouth? Through the sacrament of the altar, he puts his body and blood into your mouth. His body is ground by your teeth. As long ago, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Besides the many others who beat him and struck him. And on the cross, he was pierced as your teeth pierce his body in your mouth. His body goes down into your open throat like a grave, and his blood streams down as it stains the wood of his cross. But just as he rose from the dead gloriously out of that tomb, because your Savior then came to dwell in you with this glorious life, he causes your mouth then to confess him in truth and faith, to speak the same gospel. Look how those women were equipped with the good news. Go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead. And look, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. You are given this word as well. Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, he's not sacrificed again through the sacrament, but as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, wherever Christians proclaim his death, we also must proclaim his resurrection. Now, this is a message that people know but more and more the people around you believe it is a myth or symbolic. And reasonable people would never believe it in truth. Beware of becoming nose to this too. Beware of becoming nose to anything in this world. It's morality in regard to sexuality and human dignity and life and good and right and justice and anything else. Check this all against the word of God. The world is focused on things that end, only whitewashing the tombs. You have a greater truth full of great joy. The tomb is destroyed by Jesus. And he offers you forgiveness in his word and sacraments. And asleep now in that bed of the tomb. And notice that the word these women brought to the disciples included one fulfilled promise. And one promise yet to be fulfilled. First, Jesus had risen. He promised that. And he accomplished it. And now, second, he would go ahead into Galilee. The disciples would see him again. And that promise has also been fulfilled now. But you also have another promise yet to be fulfilled. Be dressed. Be ready for service. And keep your lamps burning. Be like people waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Blessed are those servants whom the master will find watching when he comes. Amen, I tell you, he will dress himself and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. It's a strange thing that even now we wait in a way like those disciples who closed themselves off away from the world that was around them and was so hostile to them. But we wait now in a different sort of fear. A reverential fear of God that recognizes that in Christ he has defeated all his enemies. And we also wait in a marvelous joy. In this joy we then can go about our work honoring our Lord by honoring also our dead. Knowing that he will raise them to eternal life at the same time that he brings us to our heavenly home on the last day. But this fear and joy are combined in a further mystery that even as we wait for our Lord we know his promise. And surely I am with you always until the end of the age. Going a few verses beyond this text, the women encounter Jesus himself. Did you notice that in the eight verses of our gospel lesson, Jesus was not here? In your Christian life now, that may be frequently the case, that you do not see Jesus. This can also cause you to fear. But let that fear be mingled with joy at the news. While you may may not be able to physically touch Jesus' body, he is present. And he does touch you through baptism, through his body and blood in the sacrament, through the hands of the pastor when he lays them on you to forgive you your sins in private absolution. Consider how comforting it was for Mary Magdalene, as John gives the details. She wondered where Jesus might be, and she saw a man that she thought might be the gardener and said, Sir, if you carried him off, tell me where you laid him and I will get him. But that man was Jesus, though she didn't yet realize it. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and replied in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus told her, do not continue to cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Jesus calls you by name now. And when he does that, he does it through his word and sacraments, and you can respond with the same joy. And you can cling to him now because he has ascended to his father. You can cling to him in his word, in baptism, which you return to in daily repentance and in holy communion. You can cling to him because he has risen as he promised, and as he has promised, he will raise you. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.